Well, before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Some breakthroughs require boldness in prayer and persistence in prayer. And I want to address that today because I think that many of us are looking for breakthroughs in our lives. In fact, recently I was with a group of people. Someone said, does anybody here not need a breakthrough? And there was almost no one who was in that category. So I won't ask it that way, but I'll ask it this way. Are you aware of anyone who does need a breakthrough in their life, including yourself, the ones you love, the ones you're concerned about? If you're aware of those who need breakthroughs, they need something to open up for them, um, you're not alone. You're not alone. And we've been talking about different ways of approaching breakthroughs, and in this morning I want to focus on the importance of bold and persistent prayer. And I want to start with two teachings from Yeshua on this subject, and they both are addressing it in the same way. We'll start with Luke 11, and then we will go to Matthew 7. So, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 11, verse 5. If you have a Bible, congratulations. If you don't have a Bible, you are really broke. Luke 11, starting in verse 5, then Yeshua said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And then the one inside says, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Then Yeshua says, I tell you, though he won't get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's, I'll I'll use this word, the man's audacity the man's boldness, the man's persistence. It's all sort of wrapped up in in the one word that is in the Scriptures. Because of this man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Yeshua tells that as the story, and then he says, so I say to you, ask. But really, It was in a continual form. It's keep asking. Say that with me. Keep asking. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds. And to him who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. And then Yeshua switches just a little bit and says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? 
If he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So that's an interesting turn as well, because now Yeshua is adding this detail. It's not just asking about the other stuff that you might need. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Some people don't receive the Holy Spirit for one reason. They don't ask. Or maybe they asked once. We'll get into that. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And then in Matthew chapter 7, Yeshua speaks again about persistence and boldness in prayer. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Of course, this is in the continual sense for each of these. Ask, keep asking, seek, keep seeking. Knock, keep knocking. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then Yeshua adds another detail, not the same as the last one. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the Torah and the prophets. So it's interesting, this, this asking and this seeking and this knocking is, is very specific. It's an expression of faith. And these three specific actions are mentioned because they integrate what's in our hearts and what our faith is with the actions that we take. And so Yeshua says, so do unto others. It's not out of the blue that he says that. Yeshua is trying to make a connection between the things of the heart and the things that we act on. The things that we're thinking about and pursuing and our faith in God. He's tying in action in very concrete ways. So let's look at these three actions. Ask. That means verbalize, put it into words. Seek. This means pursue. Knock. Do you know what this means? Knock. How many of you will answer the phone, your mobile phone, if the same number calls three times? Sometimes we will. How many will go to the front door, even if you're not expecting it, if, if someone keeps knocking on the door? Sometimes in my neighborhood, you don't want to go to the door after they keep knocking. It's usually a salesperson. Ask, seek, knock. I think this is connected as well to the kinds of breakthroughs that we studied a few weeks ago, those that are in Hebrew called ma'at ma'at, little by little. 
And so this keep asking, that's little by little. Keep seeking, keep knocking. It is not a one-and-done situation. There are occasions when you might pray once and that'll do it. But Yeshua is teaching us something, that it's a matter of continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to knock. This is what we're called to do. Ask and you will receive. You will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And let me add this. Once the door is open, you still have to go through it, right? The door's open, there's still more to do. Sometimes we think, if only the door would open, and the door opens, then you got to go in and do what is ahead. So all three actions are significant, and Yeshua says, this sums up the Torah and the prophets, to do to others what you would have them do to you. Because Yeshua teaches us that faith expresses itself in action, and that we're to live as as an example to other people. Asking is an expression of faith. Asking again and again, keeping asking. When we keep asking, it's an affirmation of faith and trust. Again and again shows that we're holding on and that we're persevering. When we ask again and again and again until the thing is done, that actually is part of our faithfulness. It's an expression of faith. Now, sometimes when you're asking and you spend months or even years asking, you find that there is a shift in what you're asking for. Have you ever had that kind of experience? I want to elaborate on it if it's familiar to you. How many have found that you were asking in one way and then it changed over time? It happened to me on many occasions. One, on one occasion, I was really trying to deal with what I understood to be God's call in my life that he had given me a shepherd's heart and that I needed to respond to that. And I was in business and in radio and I had to understand what to do. And so I was getting up very early in the morning and I was seeking the Lord and I was fasting and praying. And one day I was praying in a certain way and in in my spirit, I had a conversation with the Lord. And it it came from him because I was asking as if I had figured out what he needs to do. And so I was telling him what he should do, and I was couching it with some scripture and some polite religious words. But basically, I was telling God what he needed to pay attention to and reminding him of the assignments I was giving him. And in my spirit, he responded with something like this. He answered me with this. You treat me like I'm an idiot. (laughs) And I heard that and I thought, you know I do. Because I I was telling him things that he hadn't thought of. And I was 
telling him details about how he needed to do it this way, you know, very specifically, what he needed to pay attention to. And so he said, you treat me like I'm an idiot. And then he said, in the kindest of ways, he said, I'm not an idiot. You are. And he said it with such fatherly love. It didn't hurt my feelings. It, it changed me. It changed me to the point that I can tell you about it without being embarrassed. It's not that my pride was hurt or my sense of self-esteem was wounded. I got enough of that. I, I can use less. But he was telling me what was a misdirected prayer from my heart. You see, I was telling him what to do. He wanted me to hear what was in his heart and what he wanted to do. So from that point on, I tried to stop telling him what to do. I tried to stop talking to him like he, he was in remedial planning class and I was teaching him. I changed my approach. For three years, I was seeking the Lord. What should I do? What should I do? And one day, it was actually in the evening, I felt the Spirit of God said to me, tomorrow morning I will tell you about your future. And so I went to Sandy and I said, tomorrow morning the Lord's going to tell me about my future. And she said, and what if he doesn't? And it's a good question because for three years I'd been asking and praying and seeking and knocking. And at that moment I said, he will. He will tell me. So the next morning I got up early. I think it was about five in the morning. Could have been 4.30. And I went into my office and I sat at my desk and I, was, I opened up my Bible. I couldn't find anything in my Bible. I couldn't even read my Bible at that moment, and I was trying to pray out loud to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I couldn't actually form words with my mouth. I don't know why, but it didn't stop me. I took out my pen and I started writing my prayer exactly the way I would have verbalized it if I were speaking it out loud. And I remember starting with something like, Lord, I know you want to speak to me today, and I can't even get words out of my mouth. And I started describing how I was feeling and what I was thinking. And as I was praying this prayer, a sense of God's presence became so strong that I was really overcome emotionally, which is very unusual for me. To the point that tears started falling off of my face onto my handwritten page. And it wasn't waterproof ink, so there were like um, drops of tears that landed on the page and the ink was running, but as I was praying and as I was crying, not because I felt bad, I can't even explain it, it was just, it was intense. 
the Lord did speak to me. And he gave me a simple directive. And it, in, it was a simple directive, but it was really hard to do because it involved moving, it involved selling our business, it involved selling our house, it involved moving to, from Roanoke, Virginia to Rochester, New York. It involved serving my mentor, David Young, there. There was a lot to it, but it was very simple. Go and serve David Young. And I did. It was hard. It was hard, but I can tell you this, that God used that time of asking. He used that time of seeking. He used that time of knocking to build into me something. The question really is, who will guide our lives and what will guide our lives? Will it be the Lord or something else? And when we have waited so long and we've not gotten the answer that we want, what do we do? Now, I've learned something. When we are asking and we're praying, it's good to be specific. So the more specific we are, the better. And it's as simple as this. I would compare it to when you go to a restaurant and the server comes up to you and says, what would you like? If, if you're not specific, if you say anything, just, you know, like, well, just bring me anything. You know what you will get? Nothing. They're not going to do that. They're not going to respond to that. But when we're specific, you say what you want, what you don't want. And if you like to order hamburgers, how many do like hamburgers besides me? Okay. Some of you. Only some of you. It's interesting. Okay. Well, I'm speaking to only some of you then. <laughs> but let's say you order a hamburger and, and you say, I want it medium rare, I want it well done. You specify what you want and then you say, no onions, no pickles. You say what you don't want. And that way, when it comes, you know when you have received what you asked for. And you also can be thankful for what you get. So it's useful in the same way in spiritual matters to be specific with the Lord about what you are asking for. And that's not born just out of your desire. It's born out of your fellowship with the Lord because Yeshua gives this profound teaching when he says, if you abide in me or if you dwell in me or if you find life with me, if you... If you Spend life with me, and my word is alive inside of you. If my word abides in you, then you can ask what you will, and it will be done. So there's a condition to it. We, we have to have that living relationship with the Lord. We have to spend time with the Lord. We have to take His word seriously. We have to allow His priorities, His direction, His, his take on a matter to define for us and to influence for us, to reshape us. And I know for many people, you've had this experience where you wanted something, but the Lord had something else in mind. Yeah? And you prayed and pursued the thing you wanted until you realized you're not going to get it because it's not good for you because it's not from the Lord. And then you turned. Maybe you turned with questions. Lord, what should I want? What should I do? How should I pray? 
Those are good questions to ask in prayer. To ask. You see, you ask sometimes with questions. You don't just ask for things, you ask about things as well. So in this week's Torah portion, we learn from the example of Moses how he needed to persevere, how he needed boldness, and how he needed what I will call expressiveness. And we read about the golden calf in Exodus 31. We see that the children of Israel are not holding on to the Lord. They're not persevering in faith. And they actually turn to idolatry instead of trusting God. And instead of trusting God as he has been teaching them, because he told them not to make statues and objects, carved objects or, or molten objects, uh, cast objects that they then worshiped. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not you can do it a little bit, you can make little ones, don't make big ones. No, don't do it. Don't make objects that you worship, that you ascribe uh, deityship to, that you say, this thing is God. And yet, the children of Israel did. Even Aaron participated in it, the high priest, the brother of Moses. We're not going to look at the whole passage there in Exodus. You can read that. But I want to bring to your attention a distillation of what happened that is in Psalm 106, 106, in verses 19 through 21. Psalm 106 starting in verse 19, at Horeb, another name for the mountain, they made a calf and they worshiped a molten image or an image that had been cast. They exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating ox. They exchanged. Say this word with me, exchange, because that's a very important detail we'll, we'll focus on. They exchanged their glory, the glory of the Lord, for the image of a grass-eating ox. They forgot God their Savior, who did great things in Egypt. Now, much later, Paul writes to the Messianic believers in Italy about a more general historic pattern that's at work among people all over the world, not just that incident, but he's seeing this kind of thing at work among all peoples throughout history. And he builds on the idea of exchange that is in Psalm 106. So listen for it and listen, listen for the words. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20 and going through 25. It's a powerful passage, but I want to focus on this issue of exchange. So we'll read these verses. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That sounds like a contradiction. His invisible qualities have been clearly seen. But this is 
the explanation, being understood from his workmanship so that men are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their foolish hearts. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged. You see? You hear it? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature or the created thing rather than the Creator, who is forever worthy of praise. Amen. So I bring these two scriptures up because I want to focus on a spiritual process that's at work here. There is an exchange that can take place where we can forget what God has done before when we become impatient, when, when we're tired, when we're distracted, when we feel like God has taken too long, when we're treating God like an idiot, we can, in our distress, turn to something else. And what should we do at such times? What can actually keep us steady? What can revive our souls and our spirits and what can renew our hearts and our minds? I think Paul mentions three things. We can glorify the Lord as Lord. We can give thanks to the Lord and we can worship the Creator. And so I started this morning's study with Yeshua's teachings about asking, seeking, and knocking because these three actions keep us pointed in God's direction. They keep our attention, our attention turned to Him during times of need. They keep us looking to Him for breakthroughs. They connect our heart and our words. They connect our heart and our actions. And they protect us from what I would call spiritual misdirection. And that's where we turn to idolatry. We start admiring the works of our own hands or we find our spiritual contentment in our own creations. And that's a dangerous condition to be in. So what do we do? We ask, we seek, we knock, we keep our attention focused on the Lord. When I was growing up, one of my favorite prayers was from Psalm 19, verse 14. It's, it's included in the Amidah prayers in the Siddur. In Hebrew, it says, Adonai 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my kinsman redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. You see, both of these aspects are significant. The words, those things that are spoken from our mouth, the meditations of the heart, these are the silent or the internal or the unspoken. These are both important, and I, I love the emphasis on words, the spoken words and the unspoken words. I, I love words. I know some of you do too, and I like the connection between the mouth and the heart. And I also value what I'm calling today expressiveness. And what I mean by that is being able to put our thoughts into words, being able to put our feelings into words, being able to capture in words and express in words the things that are inside of us that are so important. Because I believe that expressiveness actually leads us to become spiritually and emotionally healthy. In Psalm 39, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist says, When I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Expressiveness, speaking out loud, giving voice to our thoughts and our feelings, putting into words our questions and our needs. There is incredible power in being expressive with God. It's good for the soul. It's good for the spirit. It's good for the mind. This week's Torah portion brings us to a moment that is so intimate. It's a life-shaping experience for Moses with the Lord. And after facing the terrible sin of idolatry of the golden calf, Moses seeks the Lord. And he keeps asking, and he keeps seeking, and he keeps knocking. And we'll just read a few verses, Exodus 33, starting in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. That is so intimate. The Lord says, I know you by name and I want you to know me by name and you want to see my glory, it's going to be revealed to you through my goodness and my presence. And so Moses follows God's instruction. He goes back up the mountain, and the Lord comes down from heaven and meets Moses. And the Hebrew describes an intimate and extraordinary experience where the Lord comes down and stands next to Moses. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls to the Lord passing by in front. 
Exodus 34, verses 5 and 8. 5 through 8. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood next to Moses there on the mountain and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord standing next to Moses, standing next to Moses, that's what the Hebrew says about that, about what the Hebrew says, from what I can tell, all traditional Jewish scholars agree that's what it says. Now, for those of us who are Messianic, this makes sense. For those who think God can't stand anywhere, He can't be present anywhere, this is troubling, and so there are a lot of ways to try to make this say what it doesn't say. But it says what it says. The Lord stood next to Moses there on the mountain and proclaimed the name of the Lord as the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Verse 8. And so Moses made haste. He bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. And then he said, If now I have found favor and grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go with us or among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So Moses humbly responds, and he bows down, and he worships, and he prays, and he asks, with the heart of an intercessor. And he's saying, Lord, go with us. Go among us. And at this point, Moses is thinking of all of Israel, not just himself. He's not saying, go with me. He's saying, go with us. And Moses is saying, we are stiff-necked. And he asked, Lord, please pardon our iniquity. Lift off our iniquity. Pardon our sin. Lift off the guilt. And take us as your precious inheritance, Lord. And I think this is an incredible example for us that, that Moses, who was raised in the household of, Egypt, of Pharaoh, and then spent all those years in, in the desert away from his people. Now he is leading his people, and he's not just frustrated with his people. He realizes he's become an intercessor. He's not just asking to get finished with this mess. He's asking for the mercy of God for all of us. And he's not saying they're guilty. And he's not acting like he's a surrogate he realizes he's stiff-necked. He realizes he's got his problems too. He realizes he needs forgiveness. He needs mercy and compassion. It's such a great example. Faith in action. And so that touches me. Let's stay the course. Let's keep on asking. 
Let's keep on seeking. Let's keep on knocking. Let's keep on praying. Let's keep on worshiping. Let's hold on to the glory and the goodness and the favor and the grace of the Lord. That's our heart, yes? So let's hold on. Let's keep seeking the Lord, and let's be willing to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and let Him shape our prayers and the things in our heart so that as we persevere in faith and faithfulness, we will see the answers of the Lord. And we will be revived and renewed and encouraged, not just ourselves, but those that God wants us to serve. And so we pray. Like Psalm 90, verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for stirring our hearts and our spirits and entrusting us with real responsibility and power. Thank you, Lord, for building into us boldness and perseverance, even audacity. Thank you for for building boldness and perseverance, persistence into our prayer lives. Lord, we want to serve you wholeheartedly with gladness and joy. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Just reminding you that we've got a wonderful Oneg next door at the Shalom Center, spaghetti and meatballs on top of spaghetti. Goes the song. Salad, cake, members class, March 9th. And for those of you that want to stand financially with us, you can find out all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. So from Sandy and me and the whole Beth Israel Mishpochah, thanks for being with us. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.